There are so many questions to ask, so much to understand as we're drawn into this dark, soulful music, rendered slowly, deliberately. We may not know the circumstances, but immediately we recognize the feelings of discouragement, isolation and aloneness, even despair, perhaps. And when the words appear, we know that what we are sensing is right. Aus der Tiefen. Out of the depths, the opening of the well-known Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to thee, O Lord. The setting is by Johann Sebastian Bach, one of his early cantatas, number 131. Scholars still puzzle about its specific origins, and most of them would not spend any time wondering about Bach's own origins and their possible influence on this work. Pure conjecture, scholars would say. But even so, Robert Louis Marshall writes, we all know that character formation is the work of childhood. The decisive fact about Bach's formative years is that he was an orphan. He lost both parents by the time he was 10. They died within one year of each other. Shortly after the death of his father, the family broke up and the 10-year-old Sebastian, along with his 13-year-old brother, were taken in by the oldest of the surviving siblings, Johann Christoph. Still, we might be out of line to surmise that Bach's biography, because of the powerful emotions he might have experienced as a child, could bubble up out of his unconscious depths into this music. John Elliott Gardner helps us here. He suggests Bach's cantatas are, of course, not literally diary entries, as though he were straightforwardly penning a personal narrative. Entwined in the music, and situated behind these pieces' formal outer shell are the features of this intensely private, multifaceted human being, devout at one moment, rebellious the next, deeply reflective and serious for the most part, but lightened by flashes of humor and empathy. Bach's voice can sometimes be heard in the music, and even more important, in the way traces of his own performance are woven into it. These are the tones of someone attuned to the cycles of nature and the changing seasons, sensitive to the raw physicality of life, but buoyed up by the prospect of a better afterlife spent in the company of angels and angelic musicians. The music gives us shafts of insight into the harrowing experiences he must have suffered as an orphan, as a lone teenager, and as a grieving husband and father they show us his fierce dislike of hypocrisy and his impatience with falsification of any sort. But they also reveal the profound sympathy he felt towards those who grieve or suffer in one way or another, or who struggle with their consciences or their beliefs. His music exemplifies this, 
and it is in part what gives it its authenticity and colossal force. But most of all, we hear his joy and sense of delight in celebrating the wonders of the universe and the mysteries of existence, as well as in the thrill of his own creative athleticism. You have only to listen to a single Christmas cantata to experience festive elation and jubilation in music on an unprecedented scale, one beyond the reach of any other composer. Words of John Elliot Gardner in his study, Bach music in the castle of heaven, as we hear the opening of Cantata 63, the opening chorus from an album titled Christmas in Leipzig, choral music for the Nativity by J.S. Bach, featuring the Bach Choir of Bethlehem and the Bach Festival Orchestra under the direction of Greg Funkgeld. As it happens, Christopher Jackson has chosen to open the 2022-23 season of the Bach Choir of Bethlehem with the first cantata we sampled, number 131. It's one of the first works by Bach that stirred him to the core as he sang it, and he wants to share that excitement with the singers, the orchestra members, and those of us in the audience at Central Moravian Church. Christopher Jackson is the new artistic director and conductor of the Bach Choir, and he feels very strongly that music of Bach, most especially, can help us not only recognize the feelings of loneliness and isolation well beyond COVID-19, most certainly, but through what John Elliott Gardner calls Bach's authenticity and colossal force, that Bach's music can make a true difference in our lives. Christopher Jackson paid a visit to the WVIA studios to talk with us about his life in music and why he is so grateful to be part of the oldest Bach choir in the United States, founded in 1898, a group that has performed over the years at the Thomaskirche, Bach's church in Leipzig, at the Kennedy Center and Carnegie Hall, and as part of the BBC Proms, at Royal Albert Hall in London. We had a chance to speak in person with Christopher Jackson, and we began at the very beginning, his origins. I didn't have a great deal of exposure to classical music until probably my teens. I grew up singing in choirs, and I was always really happy to be there. It made me happy, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I knew that this would be my life from an early age. I enjoyed singing in children's choirs. Right now, I'm a, I'm a low bass. At that point, I was a very high soprano. <laughs> and I got a lot of experience that way. But I really found classical music in my teens. And it was because of my mother 
actually subscribed me to a Time Life series of of great composers. And um, it, it provided for me at that point in my life this incredible escape that I didn't know I was missing. And so from that point on, it was my own interest. No one hoisted classical music upon me. No one tried to get me to take lessons. It, it was something that I found on my own. And I think that's why I dove in, you know, headfirst into classical music, because it felt like it was something that was entirely personal to me. What was it? Did you like the big banging Tchaikovsky concerto? What were you doing? That's hysterical that you mentioned that, because one of the first things that I fell in love with was the, the Tchaikovsky first piano concerto. Absolutely. Tchaikovsky was my first favorite composer. And well, next to Beethoven. I remember I was reading The Shining, uh, Stephen King, and I was listening to Tchaikovsky's Sixth Symphony the opening movement and there's this this spot right in the opening movement where Tchaikovsky I think writes five piano markings pianissimo and I was so engrossed in the book immediately followed by that is this explosion you know exactly what I'm talking about I, I yelled and I threw the book across the room, but it it was the right thing at the right time for me, but it wasn't just something sort of um, immediately emotional like Tchaikovsky, but really there was Bach in that collection. They devoted four CDs, double CD booklets to Bach, and I remember that being the first time that I heard the B minor mass, and specifically the Etienne Carnatus Est, and I must have listened to that over 200 times in in a single year, just trying to understand why it had such a profound impact on me or what I assume to be on anyone who could hear it. And it was through that CD that I got to know individual moments in Bach's music, but without a great deal of context. So I probably heard maybe three of the mass movements but was absolutely in love and then also a number of orchestral works and keyboard works i didn't really fall in love with bach if we're going to talk about that until my college years but i definitely knew that his music was profoundly meaningful and also emotional i think some people don't attach emotion to bach's music but i i did from an early age and i and i think it's there there's something about the form and the structure and the performance yeah i i really agree and I, I think that what classical music did for me at that young age like many other arts for people it it helped me realize that i wasn't alone and i mean that in a couple of ways listening to the expression created through those compositions by many composers i also fell in love with shostakovich at a young age which is a little strange but to feel like those composers understood something about what it was to be alive through their music made me feel less alone. And also then couple that with the choral arts when there's something really unique and profound about making music, vocal music, in a room full of people, it makes you feel less alone inherently. And so those two things were psychologically something that I 
really attached myself to in my teenage years, and that paved the way for me to study music in college. Didn't actually study it officially outside of just being in school choirs until my senior year of high school. Took some lessons, but it meant so much to me personally that I decided that I would try and major in it, even though I didn't have a ton of experience. And the moment I started studying music, all of my other academic subjects suddenly made sense. It's like it taught me how to understand the world in a slightly different way. And then I was a great student. Before that, I was a lousy student. <laughs> so it's it's amazing. Where did that experience happen? Where did you go to college? I, I went to Oklahoma State University. So I grew up in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And I told you I wasn't a good student. I also didn't have a ton of ambition. So I got to the end of my high school years and thought, well, I think I'm supposed to go to college now. And, you know, I signed up to go to the college that was in my hometown. And then I stumbled into music and had remarkable teachers. In fact, Bach actually serendipitously followed me uh, or, or attracted me most of my life. My, my college mentor, the choral conductor at Oklahoma State at that time, is now the director of the Baldwin-Wallace Bach Festival. He's a Bach scholar. And so I showed up at Oklahoma State University and he threw all this Bach at us and was so fantastic at showing us the combination of emotion and intellect in Bach's music. And I really started to fall in love at that point. It also just so happens that my voice was really well suited to singing Bach. I studied as a singer and I don't have a particularly large voice. So things romantic era and onward were not really well suited to my voice, but definitely classical and Baroque. And even before I love Renaissance music and I was really ideally suited to sing those things. And so I was studying a lot of Bach as an undergraduate and, and it, it really fit. The, the feelings of serendipity that, that have followed me through my career, especially to lead to this moment, I had this feeling when I met everybody with the Bach Choir of Bethlehem that this was where I should be. And I am a, a religious person, but I wouldn't quite attribute it to that. It's, it's more this sense that I think many of us have had when you're in a place where you belong or that you want to belong, that, that everything has lined up. And so I, I couldn't be happier to be here or more grateful. And when you were in school and being immersed in Bach, were you able to at some point then go to Chicago, for example, where you could hear the fresh ensemble and you could hear it? Or? You know, it took quite a while in my life. I mean, I didn't really leave Oklahoma until I was 22 or 23. So again, that idea of of this attachment to this music feeling really personal. No, no one really forced it on me. It was something I was drawn to and that I wanted to explore. I think that's valuable for any young person. Just, I would say that across the board. But after that, I went to Arizona. I, I taught high school and middle school choir in Arizona for three years. And while I was there, there was this amazing, I would call it a community group. It was auditioned, but it was an early music ensemble called Musica Sonora. And it was run by an incredible woman, Christina Jarvis, who did all of her own research and was just enthusiastic about sharing early music. And I stumbled into that group and she allowed me to, to be the assistant conductor. And so I learned a lot. You know, the early music world is full of people who want to share this passion. And um, so she was really gracious and gave me experience. But what you were talking about was seeing it at a sort of really high level. And that didn't happen for me until I attended Westminster Choir College. 
And yes, some of it we performed, but we were so close to New York and Philadelphia that I was able to see more there. And then eventually I started to get hired to do some of these things and not necessarily, you know, with Margaret Hillis, but Holy Trinity Lutheran in New York City. It was run by Donald Meineke for a long time. And they did Bach one per part on period instruments. And occasionally I would be asked to come in, even though I was teaching, you know, I would I would try to make time to come in and perform with them. And that was life changing as well. We're talking so much about the personal nature of this attachment. Did you envision Bach, the composer, as a person while you were going on? Or was Bach this remarkable historical figure who could do this? That's such a good question. I think I think that in many fields there was this specific amount of time in the in the 20th century and the late 19th century where it was very common to turn these people into mythological figures. And a lot of the research that I read and a lot of the the flavor uh, of how people spoke about great artists still had that whenever I was first getting into things uh, as a musician. But I think over time, what makes it even better is is trying to understand how human these people actually are and were. And on some level, that means that that amount of achievement is accessible to anybody. One of the things that was so remarkable about Bach is actually how he treated it like a craft. And he had to do it. He had to compose just constantly. And he didn't necessarily have time to be inspired. And his music is one of those great intersections, though, of craft and intent, emotion, intellect. All of those things are present. And so I do see him as being, you know, kind of um, mountaintop composer, but not inhuman. Um, Very, very human. When did you become aware of the Bach Choir? So I definitely heard of the Bach Choir when I was in Princeton at Westminster. We didn't get a chance to interact very much. I, I knew of it, and I knew that it had an important place in the history of Bach in the United States. One of my professors at Westminster was Andrew McGill, and he now he conducts at Carmel Bach Festival, right? And again, that level of serendipity is is remarkable, but... Dr. McGill brought in David Newman, who's one of our regular soloists, to come and do a masterclass with us when we were doing St. Matthew Passion. And so I worked with David Newman, and this is really funny. I, I called David recently because he was a soloist in one of the concerts I just conducted with the Bach Choir. And I said, David, I did not remember this until yesterday, but you've worked with me in a masterclass. And it was, again, it, it's so funny, but I knew of the Bach Choir because of people like David, really high quality soloists and really, really high quality kind people. The Bach Choir is surrounded by by really kind people. And I think that's one of the other things that drew me to the organization. But I heard about them when I was at Westminster. I then went on to get my doctoral degree back in Texas. So I didn't really have time to associate. But my first college teaching job outside of my doctoral degree was at Lycoming College in Williamsport. And when I was there, I really started to get the sense of pride that the state has for the Bach Choir of Bethlehem. I would hear about it 
in different contexts. I actually started my own Baroque ensemble while I was in Williamsport. And people would mention the Bach Choir of Bethlehem while, while I was trying to get that off the ground as a really shining example of success. And um, then again, as serendipity would have it, I had just a few connections to the Lehigh Valley. And I got a call from Greg Funfgeld one day asking me to come and sing as a soloist for the Beethoven Choral Fantasia. It's not a, it's not a major part, but it was an honor to be asked. And then over the course of a few years, Greg would ask me out every now and then for some minor, you know, bass baritone sort of roles with the Bach choir. And so I got to meet Greg and that's where that, that sense that this organization was such a part of the community was affirmed. I could see it with my own two eyes, the way that Greg treated people, the, the quality of the singers in the choir and the players in the orchestra. It's just, it, it really is a remarkable thing. It's a, it's a treasure in this state and really on the, on the East Coast and the country. We talked about Bach as a human being, and he certainly was in a place, Leipzig, for example, and it seems quite important that the Bach Choir was founded in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, in a community, a Moravian community, with ties to European music and a great passion for music making. Yes, and it adds layers of meaning. You know, sometimes being involved in music or religion or even education, you start to think about layers. And some of the best things in the world take on their unique meaning because of how many layers are present. And I I think we can all draw our own idea of, of what that means to us as individuals, but the layers that are present in the Bach Choir. You know, we're about to celebrate our 125th season, and whenever I was preparing to take on the job, there there were multiple books available with the history of the Bach Choir. And one of the things that I did was I went through and I read what the Bach Choir has meant to people, their own account. They, they would write and, and send it. Uh, the, the authors of these books would include their accounts of what it meant in the book. And the way it has changed people's lives uh, to go to the festival and to to make the experience of the B minor Mass, which we do every year, it was a place that people would go to renew themselves on some level, whether that was musically or spiritually, or even, I think, from that perspective of tradition, that they could go to a place that their grandparents went and and feel connected to them. And that's still there in the Bach Choir today. There, There is a family that is four generations of singers in, in the Bach Choir. And it's it's remarkable to think about things like that. That doesn't have to be everyone's story, but those layers that I'm talking about, that it adds so much. And that leads us to the recognition that it's not just, not your grandfather or grandmother's Bach choir. It's a choir that's alive and organic in this moment. It really is. And and one of the things that I've been trying to focus on since, since thinking about what it means to carry on, right? So we're 125 years in. And I'm interested in another 125 years in what that looks like. But there are, there are people from all points in their lives that, that we interact with in the Bach Choir. So we have a great education program. We mostly target third graders through seventh graders with this particular program. But just today, I met somebody who was interested in getting Bach in front of children under the age of five in some, some way. 
right? It's not like they're necessarily going to have some profound memory of, of Bach that's going to stick, but it's it, it matters. But then also this year, we've started looking into interacting with hospice, hospice locations and seeing how we can bring Bach or, or music in general into those locations and how we can serve populations that are, you know, at many different points in their life. Another really beautiful thing is that we have a we have a scholars program for high school and college students so that they they can have an opportunity to participate in an ensemble that treats them as an independent musician. And and many school programs do that well, but you always add something when you go outside of your comfort zone and into a new place where you have to make new friends and you have to work under a new director and the stakes are a little bit different than they are in school. So this program exists. And for me personally, at the age I am right now, I'm 39, I, I know for a fact that in society right now, people who graduate from college, those years right after right now are particularly lonely. You know, our, our society is set up where we have a lot of forced social interaction from elementary school all the way through college. And then when you leave that orbit, it can feel really isolating. Same thing can happen if you're you're moving to a new location or starting a new job. There are lots of ways that I think society can make us feel isolated. And what I told you about my personal relationship to music, I think one of its functions in our life right now is to connect us. And I really want to encourage people to consider if, if they've had music in their life and they're interested in you know joining something like the Bach Choir, to consider that this is an outlet for community and great art making and that, that loneliness can be a real issue no matter your age and that I think music is a great salve for that. Again, I love that word. Salve for that. <laughs> you did note that the choir has singers who aren't just from the Lehigh Valley. Yes, yeah. So this, I, I pulled the choir recently because I had a feeling, based on all that I knew, that we serve a, a pretty broad radius around the Lehigh Valley. And I, and I pulled the choir members, and we have folks that come regularly for rehearsal from an hour and a half away. And that includes definitely some folks in the Poconos, but also going into New Jersey and then into closer to the Harrisburg area. And so I know that people do it. That's not for everybody necessarily, but I also think it's it's worth knowing that some of our current members believe so strongly in the value of what that is, that they are happy to take that time and, and make the trip. And I, I'm interested in the Bach Choir being a regional, I, I said the word treasure earlier, and I really think it has the it is that already, but I want people to know that it's there and that you can make the trip, whether you're an audience member or you want to come sing with us, that people have done it and still don't find it to be a burden. It's, it adds to their lives. We have auditions coming up. Right now, we have them scheduled for the Labor Day weekend, and you can check Bach.org for, uh, for these, and actually the weekend prior. So that's coming up really soon. But it's early enough in the season that if if people needed to fit an additional audition in, they should just contact me and they can easily do that. See Jackson at Bach.org.
Christopher Jackson, the new artistic director and conductor of the Bach Choir of Bethlehem and the Bach Festival Orchestra, speaking with us in anticipation of the opening of the 125th anniversary season of the Bach Choir, the oldest Bach Choir in America. The first concert will be part of the Bach at Noon series at Central Moravian Church on September 13th in Bethlehem. The doors open at 11.30 a.m. The concert is at 12.10. And for more information on the web, bach.org, B-A-C-H dot O-R-G. That's Bach at Noon at the Central Moravian Church in Bethlehem on September 13th. Doors opening at 11.30, concert at 12.10. We've just heard how important singing is to Christopher Jackson and how he sees that it can be a community builder and a salve, that's the word he used for us in troubling times in the day-to-day struggles of what it means to be human. And he would like to invite anyone who is interested to investigate the Bach Choir of Bethlehem and then take the step of auditioning. The auditions are scheduled this next weekend and the weekend after that. So Friday, August 26th, 4 to 6.30 p.m., Saturday, August 27th, 11 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., and also then the following weekend, weekend of Labor Day, September 2nd at 4, from 4 to 6.30, and September 3rd, 10 a.m. to noon, and rehearsals are held Monday evenings at 7.30 at the First Presbyterian Church of Bethlehem, and you are invited to take part in the entire season if you can, Auditions consist of each singer performing one or two songs or arias of their choice, along with vocalization and sight reading. An accompanist is provided, and auditions will be held at the choir office at Heckewelder Place, 440 Heckewelder Place in Bethlehem. All the details that you need are available online, and that's bach.org, bach.org. We spoke with Dr. Christopher Jackson, the new artistic director and conductor of the Bach Choir of Bethlehem and Bach Festival Orchestra, and you are invited to take part. You heard today something of his vision and his passion about music, and especially music of Bach, and he's inviting anyone who is in driving distance, walking distance, to join in this remarkable organization marking 125 years, bach.org.